welcome to SED. I'm your host, Jane Dagme, Editor-in-Chief of Designers Today. SED covers the wonderful industry of interior design from various, often eclectic, angles. At its most literal, SED is the spoken complement to what's written in the pages of our magazine. Esoterically speaking, SED, S-A-I-D, stands for Something About Interior Designers. In a nutshell, the podcast is devoted to the ongoing curiosity and admiration we have for these diverse, passionate, and often quirky individuals. SED celebrates the way they think, work, live, and define themselves. Enough said. Let's get into our show. Designers, Howls is excited to announce a brand new initiative focused on serving your specific needs as design pros. Howls Pro is a new pro-exclusive destination where you can access new tools, education, and analytics to take your business to the next level. You're invited to explore Howls Pro, which includes the brand new CRM tool to manage client inquiries, marketing to build your company brand, plus Ivy, the incredibly popular designer software for managing your business. Learn more at pro.house.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I hope you're all hanging in there and staying connected to your friends and colleagues. Today's podcast is with Kristen Drohan, interior designer, product designer, and manufacturer. And our podcast is split into two parts. In the first part, you'll hear Kristen's design talk presentation from our November designer experience. When I listened to it again, it felt as relevant now as it was then, because not only does she recount the steps that she took to becoming a successful entrepreneur, but she explains how designers can comfortably propose upholstery for their clients who may never sit in these proposed seats. As so many of you are leading jobs remotely right now, how to circumvent the sit test seems more timely than ever. This is a project Kristen is working on with Kansas City designer Rochelle Plett of RLP Interiors, whose love and knowledge of upholstery runs very deep. I asked Rochelle to say something about Kristen, and this is what she said. Kristen is such a hoot. She has a wicked sense of humor and is genuine and open once you get a chance to know her a little bit. Her story is really inspirational in that she saw a hole in our industry and just decided to fill it herself. I had the opportunity to tour her upholstery facility last fall after market, and I was so impressed by the team's commitment to quality and consistency, and I am excited to partner with her on our upcoming project. I hope you enjoy your interview with her. Thanks. Thanks, Rochelle. Okay, so here you go. Kristen Drohan's Design Talk Live. I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit about how I started the business of furniture building. It's an upholstery company. I started my interior design business in 2005, so it's been almost 15 years. And very shortly thereafter, I started the upholstery collection. 
and I launched that in 2009. So this is almost 11 years. So this is not something that I just started doing. It's an established business, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit how it evolved because I did not actually have this master business plan as an interior designer, I'm gonna then have a furniture collection. So it happened organically and I just, when the um, opportunities arose, I was taking advantage of them. So this is really how it kind of transpired. Um, when I first started my interior design business, I was living in DC and I went to High Point Market with one of my friends. We were looking to source some sort of upholstery line. And at that point in time, I, I don't know, maybe some of you all remember, no one lets you in the showrooms as a designer. You had to beg, borrow, and steal your way in. Now, you know, the, they roll out the red carpet, but back then it was very difficult. So finding a line that would work with you was rather difficult. So we walked into this uh, family-owned showroom, and actually, if you've been to High Point Market, it's in Universal. So they, the family actually owned that entire building at one point in time, and they had a showroom, a furniture showroom, in that little front area of Universal, like tiny, tiny showroom. We walked in, and we met the owner, and we immediately said, well, can you do this with us? They were very much positioned as a leather company and they were very heavily leveraged in retail at the time. So we started asking questions. Will you work with designers? Can we do fabric? Can we COM? Can we change the finish? Can we change the dimensions? And everything that we asked, they said, yes, you can do that. You can do that. And we looked at each other. We're like, oh my gosh, this is a dream come true. So then they said, you know, what do we do to open? So it was a big open back then, big investment and in their swatches and their finished samples. And so we shared the open, shared the investment since we were very close, to, um, our studios were very close to each other. And that's how we got started. Well, very soon after, I started working with this company. I was asking them, will you do this? Will you change this? Can I switch this arm? Can I do this different leg? And finally, I just drew a piece of furniture and I said, can you actually manufacture this? I need this from scratch. And they did, and, they, and it turned out fantastic. And um, then we went to High Point Market, the next market, and these are kind of blown out a little bit. They had knocked off a version of it. So here's, here's what that looked like. Um, oh, they're out of order. How'd that happen? Let's see, okay, we'll go back to that one. Okay, so I don't know if you can see this, but this was the original piece that they manufactured for me. So I walked into the showroom and this was what was there. They didn't have any day chaises in their line at all. And my friend turned to me and she's like, uh, Kristen, there's your day chaise. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? You, you, just put that in your line. You didn't tell me. I'm like, did you at least name it the Kristen? And they're like, uh, no, we didn't. And oopsie. And so instead of, you know, getting pissed and like, oh, well, I'm, this is making me mad. I'm like, how can I take these lemons and make a lemon drop martini? So um, I was like, hmm. I went to them and I said, look, if you want to collaborate on something, maybe we should collaborate. Maybe we should do a collection. So the initial iteration in 2009 when we launched the, at a High Point Market was kind of a my collection underneath their umbrella. So I put together 18 pieces, um, prototypes, the whole nine yards, had the showroom, had the PR firm, had the website, walked in and we did High Point Market. It was very successful. We had orders. We had designers signing up, getting accounts, 
And that summer, so April to July, they called me up and they said, we're done. This was, you know, 2009. They had been hanging on and the market had, had tanked and they lost a huge retail account. It was a huge retail store in Florida and they had filed bankruptcy and they said, Kristen, we are done. That was it. That was, that was it. I'm like, okay, that's great. Well, I have orders. I have a collection. I've invested probably at that point, I put about six figures into the whole thing, pretty close. And I went, okay, this is really not good. So they said, well, here's, here's what we can do. Our family owns this business in downtown Hickory, which by the way, that's where the factory is. And we can, and we own all the equipment outright. We can move into that building, hire back a skeleton crew, and start all over making your furniture. So that's really how it all came together. That's how then I started the actual furniture collection. And, and initially, that's what they did. We started growing it. And that in about 2012, and this was where it was really instrumental in 2012. I'm going to go back to that last slide. So I had heard of this company called One King's Lane Flash Sales at the time, that, that old model. So I called them up, and I, I said, let's have a meeting at High Point, and I met them there. And so we initially started out, and they said, we're, we, we're going to do a sale with you. It took me about six months to convince them. But then they said, um, we need 65 SKUs. And I went, oh, okay, well, I'm going to come up with 65 SKUs. I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I was not going to say no to this opportunity. So we were taking covers, old things, redoing them, and I had to provide all the photography on top of it. So we managed to cobble them up, and it was the last few were pretty cobbled. And um, they launched on a Saturday afternoon. It was about, it's a 2.30 launch. And again, I don't know if you all remember the, the actual real flash sales. It's like a few hours, and it was over. And we, I was in my studio office upstairs. My husband was outside mowing the grass, and it went live. And people started buying the stuff like immediately. And stuff was selling out like that. I was flipping out. I'm throwing over the, open the window, screaming at my husband, oh my god, they're buying my stuff. They're buying my stuff. I'm Kristen Johan. No one knows who the heck I am. Um, so I was flabbergasted. Because not only that, the sofas were like $3,500, $4,000. Sectionals were $9,000. People said, no way are they ever going to buy that stuff without having sat in it. And Again, if I, if, if I had a, at least 10 bucks for every time someone told me what I was doing could not be done, I'd be, I'd, it, this would have paid for itself. So that was just another one. So what ended up happening is I developed this relationship with One King's Lane. They started doing editorial content for me. So what happened is it gave me instant credibility. Some luck involved, yes. Perseverance, yes. So there was all of those things combined. The vehicle at the time, yes, lucky. So this is the kind of stuff they would do. And um, they had 5 million subscribers at the time. I, I couldn't buy that kind of SEO. So the then they started moving into these curated sales instead of flash sales. And the curated sales, what ended up happening with them is they, start, they were very successful, and we started doing them more frequently and more frequently. Think in, let's see, I think in 2013, I did a quarter of a million dollars of sales with them. 
Then the following year, we did $400,000. And then the year after that, I did almost three quarters of a million dollars sales. Sounds wonderful, right? You're thinking, oh my gosh, I've hit the jackpot. This was not super profitable business. I had to sell it to them at a very low margin in order for them to be able to sell it for this. I kind of freaked out and I went, oh, this is not good. I need to have some diversity in who I am selling this product to. And really, my end goal was always the designer. It was always a direct to the designer sale. That was always what I intended to do from the beginning. So, and at, back in the, in the day, designers were shopping One King's Lane like crazy and opening up accounts. So I had now a database of designers. I had a CEU upholstery construction class. I started to just network and build up my designers so that I could have that be the, really the bulk of who I sold to and rely less on e-com and less on e-com, at least through other avenues. That was really the goal until, um, I think it's been a year and a half now when One, One King's Lane, they were purchased by Bed Bath & Beyond. It's, it's, it turned into something very, very different. So I stopped doing it, but I did not stop doing it until I had another vehicle in place, and that was my own e-com site. That was the goal, is to get rid of these middle people so that I could go direct to my interior designer and go direct to retail and protect my designer so that their, prod, their pricing could never be shopped out online. So that was the goal. And, and so I think it's been about a year, about a year that um, we stopped selling One King's Lane altogether. I don't need it anymore. It's definitely don't need it anymore, but it was that process that allowed me to build it the way I was able to build it. It's a successful business right now. It's been really, really pretty lucrative the last four years. But it's always a challenge. There's always challenges, logistical challenges. I had to figure out how not to alienate my designers by still selling to consumers. I had to figure out how to get a white glove drop ship to Utah and to New York and to New Mexico. And it, logistics are incredibly difficult in this business. And it's, it's not inexpensive stuff, so you can't just put it on FedEx freight and get it somewhere and not have it be smashed to bits. So that was also um, a huge um, challenge. And now the challenge is we, we've grown to a point where we have to worry about labor. And labor is so challenging in Hickory finding quality people. Everybody's doing pretty well upholstery company-wise, so it's not like it was literally five, six years ago when we were able to poach anybody we wanted because they were going belly up right and left. Now it's quite difficult, and it's like, how do you know that your sales are going to be that in six months? Are we gonna have a recession? You know, so you, it's a constant issue, and it's always something that we have to reevaluate and reevaluate and reevaluate. So there's many challenges. I, I took Rochelle with me. Rochelle, who used to own an, um, uh, an upholstery workroom in Kansas, is incredibly knowledgeable. So we have kind of partnered up because what we wanna do for the designers is we want to provide education so that we can take our knowledge of upholstery construction and give you the knowledge so that you all can sell custom upholstery to your clients. And one of the very first projects that we're working on right now is called um, Selling Without the Sit Guide. Because as we all know, 
Our clients, what do they say? We want to sit in it. And even if it's a showroom sample or it's actually been in an environment where people have been sitting on it, when you order that new piece of furniture with leather versus velvet versus whatever, you change the cushion construction, it's going to sit slightly differently than that piece that's in the showroom. So we've come up with some, I'm going to give you a few little uh, tips that is, going, is kind of precursor to what we're actually going to be doing with uh, the guide, eventually webinars, and then we also will do upholstery construction as well. So one of the very first things is when we do an evaluation on how do we determine what is the best way for a custom piece of upholstery to be constructed. One of the things that we always do is, first of all, we try to find out how this is going to be used. Are they laying down? Are they, it's a sit room? Are they um, tall, short? Are there two different height people? Those are all things that we will have in the, in the guide. But then as a kind of a general um, consensus for seat depth, I really like just generally a 22 inch seat depth. That's for the average person in an average situation, that's a nice seat depth to have. Now, if you have someone who's taller, you might want something that's a little bit deeper. And if you have someone tiny like Rochelle, who's, who went through my house and I said, oh, I know exactly which sofa you're going to fit in. Um, so, this is, so this is another one of our big tips. Height is really very um, important, the client's height. And um, one of the things that I like to use as a little formula is if you take the seat height plus the depth, it should add up to about 42 to 44 inches in general as just kind of a guideline. If your client's on the taller side, you want to be closer to the 44. If your client is on the shorter side, you want it to be, it could actually even be 40 inches. So you're adding your seat height and you're adding your seat depth. And that kind of gives you a good general guide on what those two components should be. And then pitch. So <laughs> that's an example of a pitch that's maybe a little much. And um, so I li like to demonstrate. My friends all have that have gone to High Point Market, and as we go through, I'll have pictures of me doing stuff like that. And I said, you know, I really don't think this might be the right pitch. So this is a little formula that we use. And it, it, Rochelle will also add an angle, too, to the, sit, to the sit guide so that you have a lot more detail. It will tell you how to measure your customer so that you know exactly how to do that in order to match the exact sofa to that perfect client. So it's kind of like when you are now with the new um, clothing companies that are doing custom things and you send in your dimensions and you send in your measurements and then they make something or they pick something out for you. It's that concept that we're trying to um, convey to you all. So when it comes to pitch, Rochelle's like, are you gonna put that in there because it's kind of complicated. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna put it in there. So we take the overall depth and you subtract the frame depth, which you actually can't see when it's upholstered. When it's unupholstered, you'll see where the edge of that frame is versus the overall depth. We want that difference to be 11 inches. That gives you the perfect pitch on a sofa for the average person. 
You might have someone that um, really wants to have a bit more of a recline, so you might want to put more, but that is a really good general guideline. So these are the types of things that we're going to include in that SIT guide so that you all have a lot better guidelines in order to sell custom upholstery. You constantly get the, well, I have to sit in it ahead of time. And that's something that it will, will cover fabrics, how that changes the sit, will cover construction, how that changes the sit, so that you have a really good idea of how you can then construct a piece of furniture for your client in a way that's customized and that they'll be happy with. What's the Kristen Drohan difference in your collection? Well, okay, so, the, so first of all, the collection is made... Um, kiln-dried hardwood maple frames, eight-way hand-tied, and we do a luxury down cushion as kind of a standard operating procedure. I drop ship anywhere. If you want a white glove to your clients directly, I do that. You work with me. I understand the, the challenges, almost to a fault, because I'm, I'm pretty overly reasonable on a lot of things because I get it. So I get, I get deadlines, I get install dates, I get all of those things. In fact, we were at the factory the other day, yesterday, and we have a, I have one of my clients who has her install for next Wednesday, and the pieces are not done. So we are expediting the freight. We're getting one of my expediters, and we're going to get it there. And so she texted me, and she's like, I'm so glad I'm a VIP client of yours. So it's a, it's a touch. It is a, a definite high level of customer service, and that is the, probably the difference of what you're going to find. And we're not huge, but we're, uh, we pump out an awful lot of furniture in our small little factory. We work with designers really differently than we do with consumers. We do offer pretty much anything to designers. I mean, you can, if you wanna give us a drawing, we'll do a CAD and build it from scratch. Um, so we have that level to if you want to tweak up whatever's in the line currently. It's, it's very rare we have to say no. And that's really what I was looking for initially. And so I don't say no very often myself. So there's that. That's probably the secret, the secret sauce too. So anyway, thank you. Thank you. Designers, Hals is excited to announce a brand new initiative focused on serving your specific needs as design pros. Hals Pro is a new pro-exclusive destination where you can access new tools, education, and analytics to take your business to the next level. You're invited to explore Hals Pro, which includes the brand new CRM tool to manage client inquiries, marketing to build your company brand, plus Ivy, the incredibly popular designer software for managing your business. Learn more at pro.house.com. And then, more recently, I spoke to Kristen from Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, where she is in isolation with her family. I wanted to find out about progress on the SITTEST project and how her North Carolina upholstery workshop was faring in the crisis. Here's part two. Hello. Hey, Kristen. It's Jane. Hey, Jane. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good morning. Um, good morning. I always forget that you're you're in Western Florida. No? Yes, the Panhandle. Yeah. 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 Thirty A. Yeah. Rosa Beach. What's it like there now? Um, really, really, really quiet and. 
the weather has been absolutely phenomenal for the past month, which has been amazing. Um, and um, it's so quiet because this would be normally like super tourist season and it is just the locals for the most part. So right. the beaches have been closed here for almost four weeks. Um, they closed them even though this, this, the governor of Florida didn't close them. The local government did. So the spring breakers all were here initially and then they all went home. So it's pretty quiet. We only have 12 cases, I think, in the county. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, oh, no, we have more. We have 23, I think, 23, but it hasn't changed much in the last few days. And is so. Santa Rosa Beach, is this where you spend winters or where's your full-time place? My full-time home is in Atlanta in Roswell, Georgia. However, ironically, um, and we had a beach house down here. So in the midst of all of this, we were literally, we were put, we put the house in the, the Atlanta house on the market. We have purchased a lot down here. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to sell both houses and build a permanent one place living. So that's what we, we've been like, we're caught in the middle of now. Right. It's kind right. Of, slightly a nightmare. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of people caught in the middle of plans, you know, future yeah. plans. It's hard. You know, what prompted me to want to get back together with you is, um, I was listening to your November DX. Yeah. Yes. Your design talk. And you spoke about the sit test and just some, some mathematical equations and, you know, it was getting into the numbers, but of how designers can choose the right upholstery for their clients yeah. when working remotely and that just to me came like whoa this is a very important moment to to bring up again so i wanted to find out from you um because i know you're planning on your own webinars and ceus yes. how that's going and where you are with it all so okay so we have all the material we literally have all of the material completed and this the is you is and rochelle together Ro Ro rochelle and i together yeah. yes so the issue is now the game plan was initially to get together again and tape it and video it. Now that has become a lot more challenging. So we haven't completely decided how do we wait until we can get together? Do we try to do it zoom and do it remotely? Um, and that is really difficult just because what we have to then be, it's going to be hard to figure out what she's going to say and what I'm going to say. And when we're doing it remotely, we really, it, we really need to sit down and go, this is your chart. This is my chart. This is what you're going to talk about this. And that is really what, what's holding us back. We probably have it done by now. If, if this all hadn't happened, she was going to do a remote, um, one on fabric. I was going to do the remote one on eco-friendly and then together we were going to do sit test and upholstery construction. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, how do we do this? Well, I, I would think, so actually scripting it from afar to me doesn't seem like the challenge, but if you were, when I think about what you were going to do together, I feel like, were you going to have examples to show yeah. and hold up yeah. and, you know, Vanna yeah, White it and exactly. stuff like that. You so, know, yeah. Because part of it is being able to take measurements and it's so much easier to demonstrate that when you're just, you know, when you can point to it and go measure from the back of your knee to your hip, you know, it's so much easier to do that than it is to then explain it or show a diagram. And it's, 
Right. So that the logistics of it now have become really a little bit more complicated. It is timely to get that information out. And we do have a whole process and formulas and things that really do help in terms of how you can successfully purchase an upholstered piece remotely and feel good about how it's going to sit. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about is how is your business in North Carolina? (laughs) What's going on with making upholstery? So ironically, um, we, um, we kind of planned ahead. So, and we are small and have been able to have a social distancing component to the business from the very beginning. So that part has never been an issue. And we finally just got on Friday, um, we got our official, we can stay open letter. Even though we're not considered essential, we are able to stay in operation. So we started planning for this a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a feeling that this would be a possibility. Of course, at the time when we were, um, you know, planning for it, this was like worst case scenario. And of course, worst case scenario kind of has happened. Um, So we are um, able to continue on, you know, we are one of the things that, you know, because we've been down this road before we've been through the recession. And I feel like that has helped us prep a little bit better for this case scenario. We know that there's a few very important things. And, you know, one of the things is we have a diverse channel of selling our product. So that has been helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, We also, uh, you know, some of the other things that are very important, and this is what we learned the first, you know, the first time out is, you know, if you have debt load right now, it's incredibly difficult to stay afloat. And that was one of the things that when we um, started this process together that we said no debt, because you can always scale back, you can always reduce your operations. But if you have this huge debt load that never changes, that's always there, that's something that will bury your business. Mm. So we are fortunate that we don't have that. And if we have to scale back a little bit on hours, which we have, we've, we are only working Monday through Thursday right now and then giving everybody Fridays off. Um, and you know, if you have to scale down in the number of people, cause I honestly don't know when we kind of open back up again, what that's going to look like it. I don't know if it's going to be a flood of orders or if it's going to be, um, you know, people are afraid, people are recovering, people are, I don't know right. what it's going but, to look like. But right now you are getting steady. We are getting orders. Is steady for yeah. both from designers and also from your other accounts. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that is, um, <clears throat> yeah. And we're, and the other thing is too, we're still getting um, requests and orders for samples. That's always, that's always a good that's sign. like pipeline. Mm-hmm. Well, that we know is pipeline. Right. We know that's always that's huge for us to know what those usually transition into sales. Um, a, a decent portion of them transition into sales usually in you know thirty days. So that we know is good. Consistently getting those orders as well. I'm a little surprised to be perfectly honest that we are getting any orders at all. Um, it is slowed down. It's more like a summer month and it's not like a typical, um, spring, right. but 
the fact that we even have some, it's steady though. It is steady. It's just slower, all manageable at this point. I mean, forever, probably not, but at this point it is manageable and it's something that we can continue on. So the, the, you know, the other issue is, you know, it's, it's been every day. It's something new. It's like shipping issues. Mm -hmm. And, um, what, what have been some shipping (laughs) issues? Like, well, initially all the white glove, almost all of them said, no more um we're threshold only Mm -hmm. so that was the first issue and you know people can't put together a giant upholstered bed in a huge sectional by themselves you know they can't bring those things into the house and up from their driveways so that was the first issue we've um we do have a couple companies that we work with that do just kind of smaller isolated little and so we've grouped orders together we've got one going up to connecticut today actually and um they're so we've kind of bunched some some stuff together and ha- and they're like you know they take them up in a sprinter basically is mm-hmm, what they do mm-hmm. and and they ha- and so so we've been able to utilize that company and um and we do have white one white glove that is still doing white glove deliveries they're sure. charging a lot more but they're still they're still operational right now so many receivers are shut down and the ltls are not running either because what's an ltl uh, the um less than truckload um so the furniture carriers okay. that do less than truckloads mm-hmm. so like your shelbas and your Brooks, Stayhart, and, you know, those types of companies are not running right now because all the big furniture manufacturers in North Carolina are shut down. And so they don't have any business, so they can't run the trucks right now. It's not that they are unessential. They have no business. So it seems, so just um, with, with the big companies shut down, to be a small company has benefited you. I mean, I'm sure it in more ways, but right now being benefit and I've never realized how um, beneficial until the last week I've really reflected on that there. One of the things that's been so nice always is I've always been able to pivot very quickly. So when I have, you know, when we see things changing, when I've been able to make the decision and pivot and it, you know, it takes five seconds to do something differently. When you're a bigger organization, it does usually take much longer to make things transition or make a major change. It's been super beneficial. Of course, we are small, so our social distancing, we have more than 10 feet between each station and each person that, you know, their sewers are a little bit closer, but we've just moved them all um, apart. Um, so we have that as a huge benefit. Some, right. some of these companies don't have those options. And the other thing is I have always, you know, you, you have to make that decision in terms of scale. And I've been very cautious when it comes to scaling to something very large, simply from a stress standpoint, um, for me personally, and what I feel like I want to handle on a day in and day out basis. The, the more people you have, the more issues you have. And, you know, yeah, you, you don't make as much money, but sometimes that's not always what it's about. So for me, this is, I've struggled with that. And now Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm validated to a certain point because I'm like, okay, maybe that wasn't, maybe that was a good, pretty good decision after all, but it is 
always been a struggle. How much do I grow? How much do I expand? That is a constant, constant. And last year I, I decided profitability was a little bit more important to me than growing in a, in a different way. So I've really concentrated on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now it seems relatively smart. Was there some luck involved to that? Probably, but I probably also that- your gut. I mean, trusting your gut, I'm sure has, <laughs> has something to do with it too. It's so hard. I wish there was roadmaps for all of this mm-hmm. and someone, you know, it's to have to make the choices and then fail and make the choices and succeed. It's difficult, but um, that to me, and it was really a personal thing. It was really more of a balance thing than it was more so when I made that decision. Um, so that was kind of, it was a mental health thing, really. Well, I was going to say just with your move, with your decision also to move and yeah. create a new home, it sounds like that's sort of, uh, you know, it's part of the big picture for you. It was part of the mm-hmm. big picture, a hundred percent. Tell me something. I, I'm curious just because I talk to a lot of designers and I know a lot of, des- um, and you are as well as a designer, yes. but I'm, but I'm and shockingly <laughs> have a bunch of design work right now, which is so bizarre to me. Well, that's good. It keeps you busy, you know, um, yep. even busier, should I say, but I'm, we're really speaking more with your manufacturer hat on right now, but, um, yeah. as, as, as both or one or the other, do you seek advice with do you work with any coaches to kind of get clear do you you know um rely on anybody have you you know what I have over the years but because this is such a hybrid business model there's not anybody coaching this so I use my my IP attorney Mm-hmm. I use a therapist and I use my husband and those are the people that I really, um, my IP attorney is, is brilliant for one thing. He's just brilliant from, he's worked in North Carolina for many, many years. He's one of the top firms. He's am- amazing. And he's also, uh, he's just good with business. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times I bounce many things off of him. He is usually my first line of defense. And when it comes to, um, you know, balance, then that's a, you know, a therapist. And then when it comes to other business decisions, especially personal decisions, that's my husband. Mm -hmm. So from, I, I have different people. I've, like I said, I've utilized coaches in the past, but I will tell you it's, so difficult because no one does this really. I mean, not the way that I do it. They don't, I'm, they don't. Well, it's all very personal and, and, and like, there's no, uh, there's, that's one of the things about this world that we live in. Everybody does it differently, you know? Yeah. But it seems like you figured out your like trifecta of support, you know? It's, it's taken a long time because mm-hmm. this is like now what a year 11, we're on year 11. So it's not, you know, it's taken a long time to figure out what it, what's the combination of those I can trust of those that have my best interests at heart and of those whose opinions I really do value and who have experience to the level that is possible because, and look, there's a lot of times I make decisions that don't work and that's part of it. Then I should write the roadmap for the, ne- for the, 
for mm-hmm. the next generation. <laughs> Although it'll change because it always changes. It's it's a constant it's constant evolution. And that's a part of it too. You know, this is going to be and we're going to pivot again. What the pivot is, not really sure yet, but there will be one. A hundred percent will be one after this. So we'll we'll just have to wait and see what it is that's going to make sense. Totally. But I do think that having many avenues of of distribution and the selling the product, diversifying, it's no different than diversifying your financial portfolio. It is the same kind of concept. And that I think we learned from the first recession that that was very important this time around as well. And just in general for our future business. So we have always been expanding. Um, you know, there's some commercial work there's, and you know, we're expanding also Jenna and I are, um, I am doing, um, the Kristen Drohan collection on the e-design tribe platform, but we are also developing a lower priced, quicker ship value engineered line for her as well. So there's, and who is Jen? to, Jenna, um, with e-design tribe. Oh yes. Okay. So we are doing that as well. And there's, so there's always going to be something new and different. And I think the more diversified you can be, I think that truly helps because who knows what the next whatever is going to be, who, who, I mean, I, there were a few people that knew about this. I certainly did not know this was a pandemic was something that was possible to derail businesses. I really didn't, it was not on my radar. Right. And, um, we don't know what the next thing will be. And when you have your, a lot of eggs in different baskets, it allows you to be able to survive when one thing is damaged or one thing is compromised. Yep. True that, you know, totally. So, um, well, Kristen, I'm so happy that we got to catch up. Of course, I was like, oh, let's just have a 10 minute catch up. Well, you know, (laughs) can't hold us to that. Um, But this has been fantastic. And I wish you and yours the best and keep me, keep me, keep designers today in the loop about all these new things that you're working on so we can help you get it out there. Yeah. Rochelle and I really need to get our test guide done. And that is the one thing I feel like can be so beneficial to our design world in general. We just need to get it together and figure out logistics on how we can present it now that we can't physically be together. So that's our, that's going to be our challenge. I have to make her stop making masks for a minute right. though, in order to do that. <laughs> I know. Busy. I know the She's mask busy maker. supplying everybody. I know. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing. What is yeah. happening there. So, well, anyway, thank you. And um, let's keep in touch. Okay. Yeah. Thanks Jane for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye Kristen. Thanks so much for listening to Seb. I sincerely hope you got something of value from the podcast that feeds your brain and fills your heart. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the interior design trade and related industries and would like to sign up for a complimentary subscription to the printed or digital magazine, visit designerstoday.com right now and sign up. Until next time.